Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and this is a teaching ministry located here in Lynchburg, Virginia, that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is April the 19th. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me today to Acts chapter number 3. Uh, last week, we left off in chapter number 3, and we did a brief introduction of chapter number 4, so I want to back up just a little bit, just for review. So we'll start today in Acts chapter 3, verse number 25. Acts chapter 3, verse number 25. Let's read those scriptures, and then we'll say a prayer and get started with our study. Ye are the children of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying, Unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning. Just ask your blessings upon the reading of your word. Father, thank you for the week that you gave us. Thank you for our health. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance. Thank you, Lord, for our families, just the many blessings that you've given to us. Father, I pray that as we turn to your word now, that, Father, you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand, Lord. For it's in Jesus' precious name we ask these things. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verse number 25. And you can see here, doing this just a little bit different, uh, you can actually see my notes, and I went over this with you last time in regards to some good study tools. I'm using eSword. Love it. Excellent tool. It's a free tool uh, that you can download from the Internet. A pastor uh, actually designed this. Um, in verse number 25, Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying, Unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Make no mistake, Israel is in view here, not the body of Christ. At this point, the Gentiles are all strangers from the covenants of promise, as Paul stated in Acts chapter 2, I mean Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12. We're strangers from the covenants of promise. The covenants have nothing to do with the body of Christ. The covenants are for the nation of Israel, nothing to do with the Gentile or the body of Christ. Now, Peter reminds them of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, which involved them becoming a nation with land and regards to a king. And we have to come to grips today in the church that prophecy relates to the nation of Israel. They are the center of God's eye. They are the apple of God's eye. They are the center of prophecy, not us. They are at the heart of what God is doing. Yes, we are blessed, <clears throat> but it is not about us. All prophecy in the Old Testament points and is for the nation of Israel. It points to the fulfilling of, of, of promises in regards to a nation, in regards to a land, in regards to a king. We are not the subject of 
of the prophecies of the Old Testament. To make this point, Les Feldick, who I really, really like, I'd encourage you to listen to him, uh, he points out in Deuteronomy 32, verse number 8, that tells us that the Lord divided the nations according to the number of the children of Israel. Look at this, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High divided the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. The point is that it's about Israel. Is it any wonder that the devil hates Israel so much? Is it any wonder that anti-Semitism is something that we have dealt with for eons, for, for centuries? Why? Because they are the children, they are God's chosen people, and the devil hates them. Do we get blessed because of them? Sure we do. His desire was to use Israel to reach us. God's and people freak out when you when you say that God's original desire was to use the nation of Israel to reach the Gentiles. That's what he wanted to do. That's you know in Isaiah 43 verse 41, but now thus saith the Lord that created thee O Jacob, he that formed thee O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee and I have called thee to by my name, thou art mine. And then Isaiah 49 and verse 5, And now saith the Lord that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, through, though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. Everything in the Old Testament points to the Jew. The Jew was the one that God was going to use to reach the Gentiles. But the Jew didn't take it, as we're going to see, as we already know. They refused the offer. They refuse the offer of the kingdom. And make no mistake, the offer of the kingdom is still on the table. Thus, God had to raise up the Apostle Paul. He had to show the Apostle Paul the gospel of grace. And the Apostle Paul was the, was the, was the apostle to the Gentiles. And then notice he says in verse 26, Unto you first, God, God having raised up his son, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And again, when we read this, context, context, context. A verse out of context is a pretext, is what I used to teach, or what I was taught as well. Unto you first, who? The Jew. Having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, the Jew in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. There's no doubt from the context that Peter is making it clear that the offer of the kingdom is still on the table if they would just repent and be converted. Of course, it didn't happen. So God had to go around the Jew and went straight to the Gentile without them. Now, some will point out that just as God used 40 years of desert 
to get the nation to repent in the Old Testament, so he gives them 40 years from Pentecost to the destruction of Jerusalem to repent. And of course, that's assuming that Pentecost occurred in 30 AD, and we know that Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. But the message that Peter is preaching, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, the gospel of the kingdom was still being preached, and the fact that the gospel of the kingdom was still being preached meant that the kingdom was still available. But we'll see here, his message will be interrupted in the next verse because they are offended. Look in verse chapter one, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus. Here it is, the resurrection from the dead. That was the problem. <laughs> the Sadducees were offended because they did not believe in the resurrection. So as far as they were concerned, Peter was preaching heresy. You see, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> they also rejected any idea of spirits or angels. The Sadducees, you see, were the liberals of the day. They were much more concerned with material things such as politics and economics. They were the, were the ones that served as the high priests, as the descendants of Aaron. Now, their opposites were the Pharisees. Their name literally means the separated. They were much more focused on keeping the letter of the law, and they tended toward legalism. Now, that may be a little too simple, but that's basically it. It goes deeper than that. But the, the Sadducees were, didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in spirits. They were the ones that served as the high priests, as the descendants of Aaron. The Pharisees, you know, they wanted everything to be fair, you see. They were the legalists of the day. They were the adherents to the law. Their name meant the separated. And Paul, you remember over in Acts chapter number 23, he exploited this in, in his conversation in Acts 23 verse number 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel hath spoken him, let us not fight against God. So, so Paul actually took advantage of this disagreement, this separation between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. In Acts chapter number 23. And then notice in verse number 3. And they laid hands on them. That literally means they arrested them. And they put them in hold until the next day. For it was evening, evening tide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Notice that many of them which heard the word believed. What word? The kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, repent and be baptized. That was, the, that was the word that was being taught 
at that time. There's no death, burial, resurrection, faith at this time. The gospel of the kingdom wasn't about the death, burial, and the resurrection. The gospel of the kingdom was preached prior to the death, burial, and the resurrection. I don't know why people look at us like we're heretics when we say that. There is obviously a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of, of grace. The gospel of grace, faith, you know, just believing in the death, burial, and the resurrection could not have been taught prior to the actual event having happened. When Jesus came in Matthew, when John the Baptist came out of the wilderness, you know, uh, wearing camel and eating wild honey, and <clears throat> he said, repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he sent out the disciples, he said, preach, repent, for the king, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the gospel of the kingdom, totally separate from the gospel of grace. I don't know why we, we have such a hard time with uh, understanding that those are two completely different gospels. One gospel is based upon works, and it's for the nation of Israel. And the other gospel is just belief just believing, and it's for any who would believe, both Jew and Gentile. Two Gospels for two different groups, and yet people call come all unhinged when you say that, yet it's common sense. Look in verse number five. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. <clears throat> now, some will point out at this point a possible historical error in that it says Annas was the high priest and Caiaphas. Well, historically, Annas was the high priest, but he had been removed, and he was replaced by his son-in-law, Caiaphas, by the Roman governor. So it appears to have been a family deal. Annas apparently still wielded a lot of political clout in spite of having been replaced. As a matter of fact, historically, five of his sons would go on and serve as high priests. And of course, John and Alexander, we just we don't know who they were. Okay. And then in verse number seven, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or what name? Have you done this? Notice that they are still transfixed on what happened in the previous chapter. What happened in the previous chapter? The lame beggar had been healed. That's what they were focused on. By what power, what name have you done this? And bear in mind, the Sadducees were really held up on politics and economics. They were in control. Understand, they saw this as a threat to that control. And then notice in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means is he made whole? 
Be it known unto you all, unto all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Peter, of course, knew that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and he made no bones about throwing it in their faces at this point. He'd come a long way from that guy who denied the Lord three times. So Peter says, It's be it known unto you, to everyone of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by that man that this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, Peter here is quoting Psalm 118.22, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. Now, there is a legend that says that while they were building Solomon's temple, that the quarry, you know, the quarry was a ways off. The quarry sent the chief cornerstone ahead. And if you, if you understand the building there, you would take the stones and you would stack them one upon the other. And then the stones would begin to lean in, kind of like a gateway, kind of like a, uh, a, uh, a rounded door, if you will, at the top. And there was one stone placed at the top that held it all together. All the weight was leaning on this one stone. That was the chief cornerstone. But the builders, as it was sent to the temple, were either not ready for it or mistook it for something else. But legend says that it lay in the field. It became overgrown with grass and weeds. And, and literally, the only time anyone saw it was when they were cutting across the field and they stumbled over it. Now, that may or may not be true. But either way, it's a great example of what Christ had become to the nation. He had become a stone of stumbling because they were not ready for him or they mistook him for someone else. Uh, Jesus referred to this as well in Matthew 21 and verse number 42. Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in your eyes. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about this stone in Isaiah 8, 11, For the Lord spake thus unto me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their, neither fear ye their fear nor be afraid. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear. That's a good thought. Let the Lord be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he shall be a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So Christ had become a stone of stumbling. They didn't know what to do with him. They, would, they were not ready for him. They mistook him for someone else. 
Peter also refers to this in uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse number 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he's precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So Peter is clearly, unapologetically, telling them that Jesus was their Messiah, and whether they chose to believe it or not, he had risen from the dead. Now that immediately uh, made me think, wouldn't it be nice at this point if the Sadducees had just taken the time to question their assumptions in regards to the resurrection? But they didn't. Like so many today. You know, I, I, I tell this story how that when I first came to the Lord, I even had my Bible when I was nine years old, sitting there in the wooden pew. I would write with a pen in the columns on the, on the sidebars of my Bible. And that was a practice even until I started to go to Bible college. I wrote with a pen in my Bibles. Well, when you write things in pen, you can't erase them. And as I began to grow in my faith, and I began to learn different things and to see things in different ways, and I began to question the assumptions, I began to write in pencil. <laughs> because I realized that, you know, um, that may not be solid truth there. Now I don't write in my Bible. Thank God for, um, for computers. Uh, I don't write in my Bible anymore uh, because... You know, I've just grown and I, I've learned to question assumptions, you know. Um, and, I, and I think even in the last two years of my life, you know, I, I have learned to question things that I've been taught. And it didn't happen overnight. I didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what? I, I, I don't think I've been rightly dividing the word of truth like I should be. I didn't just wake up and do that. No, I hit a dilemma. I began my studies, and I saw something that just appeared to be a contradiction to me. It appeared to be a contradiction to me, and I began to question the assumptions. I watched a video uh, with Rodney Ballou. He's on YouTube. You ought to check him out. Explaining that it is futile to attempt to explain right division without first having created a dilemma. And that dilemma is usually an apparent contradiction. And I can share my journey with you. You know, when you read verses going back and forth, I wrote down several here. You know, when you read Acts chapter 2, verse number 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. And then you look over at the end of Acts in Acts chapter 16, and they, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, that's a dilemma. That's a contradiction. Here it says you need to repent and be baptized. Here it says you just need to believe. 
So is it repent and be baptized, or is it believe? Or is it repent and be baptized and believe? There's a dilemma there. There's a dilemma there. Obviously, they're talking about two different things. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is the gospel of grace. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. You remember? You know, in the in the, the early church, the early, and when I say church, I'm talking about the, the kingdom church, the Jewish church, because I don't believe the body of Christ had anything to do with Pentecost. Pentecost wasn't the birth of the body of Christ. <laughs> it was just an adding to a currently existing church, which was the kingdom church. And they believed that the very next thing that was going to happen was the return of Christ. They expected Jesus to return. Why? Because they believed they were, they were dispensational. They knew Daniel's prophecies that the Messiah would come. The nation of Israel would repent. Daniel's 70th week would just keep on going into the tribulation. And it would culminate with the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom. That's what they felt was going to happen. Therefore, they sold everything because they didn't think they needed it. They were not going to be around for very long. But yet you get over in Acts chapter number 11, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. The brethren in Judea were starving. Why? Because the, king, the, the second coming had not happened. And now they were destitute. And there was collections actually being made. Paul took collections from the Corinthians, if I remember correctly, to go to take back to the church in Jerusalem. But the church in Jerusalem acted on what they knew to do. They knew that the gospel was being the gospel of the kingdom was being preached. Daniel's 70th week would just roll in and it would culminate with the establishment of the kingdom. They didn't need these material things. But here they're starving. What happened? And then Acts chapter 12, verse 11. Then Peter was come to himself, and he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from the expectation of the people, the Jews, Peter was gloriously delivered. But yet we get over in Acts chapter number 26, And then Agrippa said unto Festus, This man, speaking of Paul, might have been set at liberty, if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul didn't get gloriously delivered like Peter did. What happened? It was apparently a different dispensation. And the word dispensation just means dispensing. It was a different dispensing. And then in Acts 2.4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pentecost. And yet over in Acts chapter number 28, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. They were not in agreement. They separated. They were in total disagreement. They couldn't even agree among themselves. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. Totally different. What's going on here? Gospel of the kingdom? gospel of grace. To attempt to force right division on people who are not ready for it is a waste of time. If they do not see the dilemma, 
if they do not see the apparent contradiction and, unlike the Sadducees, are willing to admit it. It's hard to give something to someone who does not think they need it. If they don't think they need it and you're trying to give it to them, it's not going to be a nice conversation. Trust me. Can I get a witness? I'm sure that you have experienced that as well. And there are more apparent contradictions that create dilemmas. You know, in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, even as the Son of Man came to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. But yet, Paul, speaking over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Verse number four, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogy which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned, which, that doesn't appear to be my verse. Um, charity, faith, good, changing. Uh, it's a ransom for is ransom for many. Uh, it's the ransom for all. I'm going to go on a wild goose chase here. Uh, I know that I... I uh, there it is. <laughs> In 1 Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. A ransom for all. So it is, is it a ransom for many? Or is it a ransom for all? And then in Romans 3.28, Therefore we conclude, this is Paul speaking, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And everybody says, Amen. Galatians 2.16, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Acts chapter 13. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. You're not justified by the law according to the Apostle Paul. But then you get over in the book of James... You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. I don't know about you, but that's a contradiction. Paul is saying we're not justified by the works of, of the law. James is saying we are justified by the works of the law and not by faith only. Is that a contradiction? Is that a dilemma? Not really. Paul was speaking to the body of Christ. James was speaking to the Jew who was still very much under the law. Again, if that dilemma is not created and they can't admit that something may be off in their theology, it's a waste of time. You know, in Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. But we get over in Ephesians chapter 1. To the praise of his glory, his grace, wherein he hath made 
us accepted in the beloved. Is that a contradiction? Every nation that that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. But here, he hath made us accepted into the beloved. Is that a contradiction? No, it's not. Again, until someone sees these things, they will see no need for what we are saying. Just, I've learned that, and I'm sure some of you guys can give a word of testimony. Now notice in verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now everyone who claims today that there can be salvation outside of Christ has deceived themselves. And unfortunately, possibly many others. Jesus told the nation of Israel that he was the only way to salvation. He is the only way. In Matthew 7 and verse number 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, even do so to them. For this is the law of the prophets. Enter ye in the straight gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be that find it. It's only through Christ. And this is both through the gospel of the kingdom and through the gospel of grace. Christ is the only way. Either gospel, Christ is the only way. But under the gospel of the kingdom, it required repentance and baptism. Under the gospel of grace, it requires only belief. That's it. And then notice in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Notice how they believed that Peter and John were unlearned and ignorant. You know, the word ignorant in the Greek is idiot. Idiotes. (laughs) They perceived that Peter and John were idiots. Why? Because they were teaching things that none of them had learned when they were in seminary. Same holds true today. When we say something that they didn't learn in their seminaries, i.e. the body of Christ was not born in Acts chapter 2, we are unlearned and we are ignorant. We're idiots. Why? Because it wasn't what they taught. Therefore, they must be unlearned and ignorant. But notice that they did realize that Peter and John had been with Jesus. I don't think this means anything super spiritual like they were glowing in the dark or anything. But they they realized from what they were saying that these guys had apparently been with the Lord. You know, Randy White points that out. It doesn't mean anything spiritual. But they determined or ascertained by their teaching they had apparently been with Jesus. Either way, may that forever be said of us. They had been with Jesus. They had been with the Lord. You know, and I find, you know, the older I get, the hungrier I get for the Word of God. And I've experienced a revival in my life in the past year and a half, two years, as I have been learning how to rightly divide, learning that I don't have to make the teachings of Paul and the teachings of James mean the same thing because they don't. James was speaking to the nation of Israel. Paul was not. 
You know, once you start understanding that, it just makes you, I mean, just, it's like the blinders came off and now I, I look in and I, I start seeing things that I never saw because I was going to the Bible with my filters on. And we all have denominational filters. We all believe things just because that's what we were told. That's what we wrote in the margins of our Bible in ink at one time. But in the end, may it appear that we've all been with Jesus. Now look in verse number 14. I think I'll I'll wrap up with this. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could not say they could say nothing against it but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council they conferred among themselves saying what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them i mean it's manifest to all the dwell here in jerusalem we can't deny it but that it spread no further among the people let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth no henceforth to no man in this name What sad verses. Yet for all of the unlearnedness and the ignorance that they believed Peter and John had, there was a man standing before them that had obviously been healed. They could say nothing against it. They could not deny it. You would think that this would be the turning point. Nope. In spite of all that they had seen, they still conferred among themselves as to how they could stop it. Seriously? Think about how sad that is. That filthy man will go out of his way to destroy and deny the work of God. Why? Jesus said it clearly. Because their father's the devil. (laughs) they would not believe. They would not believe. You are of your father, the devil, the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and he's the father of it. They just would not believe. Instead of just questioning what they had always, always believed about the resurrection, They said, how can we stop it? Even though this man is standing here in front of us whole, we cannot deny it. Yet the only thing they wanted to do was stop it. They didn't want to hear this man's name. They didn't want to hear this man's name. Look down in verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. Doesn't that sound similar? How many of you were watching one of the Trump debriefs, the health debriefs, when Mike Lindell, who's the My Pillow guy, it was a couple weeks ago, and he said, God put Trump in the White House. We should be reading our Bibles. And the heathen went crazy. CNN cut away when he mentioned God. Why do you think our society does not like the name of Jesus? Now you can speak, you can say the name God in a general term, you know, 
God this and God that. But when you say Jesus or you start referring to Jesus and they knew exactly who Mike Lindell was referring to, immediately they got offended. They cut away. The name of Jesus Isaiah 45, 23, I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee will bow and every tongue shall swear. The name of Jesus forces a decision. Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. You're my friend or you're my enemy. Romans 14, 11, for it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. You see, Jesus draws a line in the sand. He's not just some generic little out in the sky, out of the pie God. He is Jesus Christ, and he said, every knee will bow to me one day. Philippians 2.10, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. When you start mentioning Jesus, they know exactly who you're talking about. And they know what he said. They know that he disapproves of their lifestyles. They know what he said about them. And they don't want anything to do with it. Isn't that sad? But we need to have the boldness of Peter. Say it anyway. Put it out there. Preach the word of God in season, out of season. That if you just believe, that's all that's required today. Just simply believing in Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Well, that's where we're going to wrap up today, and I uh, hope you enjoyed our study. Uh, remember, I will place this study onto uh, all the other platforms for you to look at, dissect. Uh, if I can help you in any way, I'm going to run this uh, uh, as a Facebook watch party here in just a minute. But God bless you guys. I'll be praying for you. Please keep in touch. And uh, remember, God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.